listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. And so if I were to ask the question, as we've been asking every week up until now, who's your one? What would be your inside response, not outside? What would be your response? Who's your one? You go, I I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor Kevin. Tell me what's going on. Well, in our series entitled, Who's Your One? We've been trying to encourage the body to do what God's already called us to do. In fact, Jesus himself, before he ascended back up into glory, after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and then right before he ascended back to the, uh, to the right hand of the Father, he said, I want you to hang around to Jeru- in Jerusalem for just a few more days because the Holy Spirit is going to come and you're going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to dwell with you in a way differently than I have dwelt with you. Jesus had been there with them spatially. They'd been able to reach out and touch him and handle him, even in his resurrection. Keep this in mind. Jesus was not some embodied God ghost embodied spirit disembodied spirit no he was a resurrected god man flesh and blood came up out of the grave yet glorified he is different but he is still human and god at the same time the god man and so they had felt him they had touched him they had walked with him they had ate with him they had fellowshiped with him and jesus said i'm going to send the holy spirit he's going to be with you in a different way than i've been with you this holy spirit is going to dwell not with just those of y'all who are able to see and touch no the holy spirit is going to come and the presence of god is going to dwell in and with every follower of jesus in a way different than i have because he's going to be in you and dwell as a as a part of you in the body he's going to lead you and he's going to direct you and he's going to empower you and he's going to equip you to represent me so hang around town and then what I want you to do once you've got that power I want you then to hear this call to go into all the world and disciple bring make disciples of all the nations and then baptize those that trust me as savior and hear your words and and respond in obedience I want you to to baptize them and I want you to train them. And so we've all been called, if we know Jesus as Savior, if you've never by faith recognized that you are a sinner in need of God's judgment, but in need of God's mercy. And if you've never recognized that in your sin, God has by his love provided forgiveness in the substitutionary death of Jesus in your place for your sin on the cross and through resurrection has secured justification and forgiveness for you if by faith you'll receive. If you've trusted Jesus, then you've been called to take the gospel, the message about Jesus, into every arena that you live in. And so what who's your one is an effort to do is to encourage you toward that. We've got these nice little cards up here. If you haven't gotten one of these, I would encourage you to get one and consider, okay, Lord, if, if I'm your child, if I've trusted Christ as Savior, and I know you've called me to go into all the nations, then the least I can do is think about one person in my circle who I'm pretty sure is not a follower of Jesus. It could be somebody you know. It could be somebody you're related to. It could be somebody that you see often and you've never had a chance to really meet and get to, to know like a coworker or a neighbor or something in that effect. And you think, I'm pretty sure that they're not a follower of Jesus. And we're encouraging you to write their name down on this card. Fill their name out right there, just the first name. And then write their name down on this part of the card. Tear the top part off, drop it in one of those black boxes connected to the wall. And then we're inviting you to take this name and begin a journey of preparation for God to use you to share the gospel with them. And we would invite you, once you've got your name, to come down here and grab one of these prayer journals. We've got plenty left. So come grab one of these and take this home. And we're encouraging you. It's set up on a 30-day plan where you would just consider the scripture that is identified for the day. 
And then write their name in the blanks and allow this guide to to sort of lead you into praying for your one for the next 30 days. Maybe it takes longer than 30 days. Maybe it doesn't take 30 days. Bottom line, you're saying, God, I'm pretty sure that you fill in your name, the one that you have that God's laid on your heart. I'm pretty sure that Sally is not a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to be praying for her. And God, I just want you to, to, to lead in their life. I want you to use circumstances and events. And, and I want you to prepare me so that when you open the door, I'll be ready to share the gospel with them. If you're not really sure what the gospel is, I want to refer you back to last week. We talked all about what the gospel is, is not, what it does, what it does not do. I'd refer you back to the podcast, but if you need some help, we've got a list down here of ways you can share the gospel, something that you can come down and pick up and, and look at and go, oh, okay, so, so I can share the gospel with somebody? Yes, you can. And you can do it as as effectively as I can. In fact, when it comes to your one, you're going to be the most effective person in sharing the gospel with them because you have a, a, a connection to them and you've been praying for them and God's equipping you and preparing them so that when you come to them with the gospel, you will be effective at delivering it if you make sure that you share the gospel and not something other than the gospel. So I would refer you back to podcast from last week so that you can know we also have some some little yellow booklets up here that'll just walk you right through how to share the gospel grab these these are yours to use these are not going to be any help to me once this series is over it's just paper unless you pick it up and use it so we're encouraging everybody to ask god to reveal to them at least one some of the teenagers are probably thinking He's not talking to me. Oh, no, no, no. You're old enough to be in here. That means that we, we think that you're old enough to sit at the grown-up table. If you're old enough to sit at the grown-up table and you're a follower of Jesus, then we believe that God will use you too. Who's your one, teenager? Who does God want to use you to share the gospel with? And so we've got all kinds of tools. We've got all kinds of encouragements I love going to the boxes on Mondays, generally when I do it. I love going to the boxes and open the top and pulling out more cards. I'm, I'm not discouraged by that going, well, they didn't fill it out the first way. No, I'm excited when I go to that box and I open the top and I go, oh, there's another one in there. And, and this is something that doesn't just end with this series, which next week ends this series. We'll move on in what we're studying, but this notion of who's your one, th- this needs to become a part of our DNA. When, when you share the gospel with the one that God has for you, they're either going to trust Jesus or they're going to tell you they've already trusted to Jesus and you're going to have an opportunity to rejoice or they're going to say to you I don't care anything about Jesus and you know what you're not going to do you're not going to get discouraged because it's not about you it's it's about the gospel and it's affecting their life you're just going to keep praying for them or they're going to say I'm not ready right now and you're going to know that's your cue to keep praying keep on pushing but once your one is addressed that's not the end I mean you still have life in your in your body you still have breath in your lungs christ has not come we should always have our sights on at least one so hopefully this will become a part of the norm of this body that we're always able to turn to one another and go hey by the way who's your one right now and we would be able to say you know my one is henry I met him just the other day and he is da 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 and I'm looking forward to you know sharing the gospel with him. So who's your one? Oh right right now I'm still with Jerry but I tell you what so they put somebody else in my work team last week and and I just met him and so he's probably going to be on the list so that we're constantly asking okay Lord who do you want to use me to share the gospel? And I think this will become an effective part of our obeying what Jesus said, and that is to reach and teach. Reach them with the gospel, teach them how to live once they've received the gospel. Today we're going to talk about, as, as you're thinking about your one, who's your one, by the way? Who, who would you answer? Who is your one? 
As you're thinking about that one, I want to encourage you to just be aware that there may be another one that God orchestrates an opportunity for you to impact that you were never even considering. You've got your blinders on, you're focused in, you're praying for, you're engaged in, you're asking God to do something powerful in their life. Pastor Carol, I'm just, I'm focused in on my one and that's awesome. I want you to be there. But just don't be surprised if God says, I got another one that I want you to address real quickly. We find an example of this in the book of Acts where we have been through the summer. And we're going to skip a little bit forward where we ended off in our summer series, our summer study of the book of Acts. And we're going to go to chapter number 8. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with us to Acts chapter 8. Maybe it's on your phone. I want you to read along. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet or something like that, then uh, you probably have version, the Bible app. It's in the live events that are a part of that app, so you should be able to find it there. Acts chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 4, we're going to find out something that has happened in the life of the church, okay? So let's read Acts chapter 8, verse number 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now you say those who were scattered, who is Luke, who's the author of this little book, this historical record of the events that happened after Jesus ascended back up into heaven, and the Holy Spirit has come on the, on the, the, the believers there in, the, in, in, the, in, in Jerusalem. And now they're telling others about Jesus and the church is being built and things are happening right after the, the ministry of Jesus on this earth. And so Jesus had told them in Acts chapter number one, right before he ascended, you're going to receive power. And then you're going to be my witnesses. And he identified four areas. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me in Jerusalem. That's the city. That's the capital of Israel. That was where they were at. You're going to, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then you're going to be my witnesses in Judea. That's the, 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 the area around Jerusalem. That southern province of Israel was known as Judea. It was a region. He said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then you're going to spread out into the communities in Judea. But then you're also going to be my witnesses in Samaria. Now in Samaria, the the people that were there were sort of half Jew, half uh, Assyrian. They were half breed Jews. And so they were kind of the racial enemies of the Jewish people. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. And so they were kind of the other side of the tracks, if you will. And Jesus says, you're going to witness for me in Jerusalem and all Judea. That makes sense. And in Samaria, what? We're going where? Yeah, you're going to Samaria and you're going to tell the Samaritans about me because I love Samaritans and you're going to quit hating them because I love them. And you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that was a a way of talking about as far as we know where people are, I'm going to spread this out. I've done a little bit of reading on this idea of the ends of the earth. One of those uh, has suggested that these were th- this was a phrase that was that was used to identify actually some points of reference in a in a map at that time, and it just so happens that we're going to encounter that. So when it says these were who were scattered, these are people in Jerusalem who were followers of Jesus who were witnessing and and bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem and and around the surrounding little villages right there close to Jerusalem. But then something happened in Jerusalem. A persecution broke out. Like, Like it started to become dangerous to name Jesus as Lord. Uh, there was a particular individual who got caught up in an argument with some religious leaders. His name was Stephen. He was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And he got into this argument with some folks. And it turned into the, to this mob. And this mob took him and stoned him. The book of Acts tells us that they stoned him. And while they were stoning him, there was 
a gentleman standing off to the side watching the the cloaks and the jackets and the robes of those who were doing the stoning. He was kind of supervising, if you will. He was overseeing this Christian, this Christ follower, being stoned to death for claiming Jesus to be Messiah. And the scripture describes this fella as the name, with the name of Saul. And this gentleman, Saul, was watching this, and he was liking what he was seeing. He was supervising the, 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 the weight here. Why, you know, you go do that, I'll watch your stuff. And when this was over, Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3 says that Saul began to ravage the church. Once he saw, okay, this is what we're going to do to Christians, then sign me up, temple leaders. Give me permission. Give me documents, and I'll bring it to to them. In fact, I will stomp out these that are claiming Jesus as Messiah. And so this gentleman by the name of Saul became a hitman of sorts, uh, an Al-Qaeda agent, if you will. And he gathered up a group and they began to bring radical persecution to anyone who named Jesus as Messiah, throwing them in prison, beating them up and threatening them with death. So what happened in Jerusalem? Everybody said, we got to get out of town. Where are we going to go? And they began to scatter into the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, a little wink, wink, nod, nod. Jesus had said, you're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, and they had been. And in all Judea? Well, they just hadn't got around to that yet. And in Samaria, Lord, are you sure? I don't know. I might have to do some more Bible study before I'm ready to go over to the other side of the tracks. And I think what we're seeing here is God orchestrating some events where he pokes the people out of Jerusalem through persecution. You know, wherever the church is persecuted, wherever the church comes under fire, wherever Christians are threatened, you know what thrives? the gospel. And that's what's happening. So as they were scattering, as they were fleeing this persecution, it says those that were scattered went about what? Preaching the word. Philip, in verse number five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, in the New Testament, there are three folks identified by the name of Philip. The first one we come into contact with in the gospel letters is an apostle. He was from Bethsaida. He was the one that uh, came uh, into contact with Jesus and went and tried to talk his buddy Nathaniel into coming and believing that he was Messiah. That's Philip the apostle. That's not who we're seeing here. There was another Philip in the gospels. He was the brother of Herod Antipas. And he was the ruler of the the northeastern side of Galilee. He was a a, 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 a sort of an Arabian type, uh, partly Jew that was under the authority of Rome as a as a king in the region. That's not not who we're talking about. The other Philip we came into contact with is in Acts chapter number six when a church began to grow and more people became a part of this this group of believers and they recognized we need some help if we're gonna if we're gonna be an encouragement to everybody. The apostle says we can't handle everybody's problems. We need some help. So they set aside seven guys who they called servants. Maybe you're more familiar with the name they called them in the Greek was was deacons. And so Philip was one of these individuals set apart as like a internal church sub-leader under the direction of the apostles ministering to the people. And when the people began to scatter, the Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, probably the capital city there in Samaria. And it says that he began to proclaim to them Christ. He began to talk to them about Jesus, the crucified and risen one. What is Philip doing? I'm going to argue that Philip is obeying what Jesus said they needed to do. What? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem? Check. Judea? Yep. There's some folks down there. Samaria. I'm here. Guys, I'm going over to Samaria. And Philip was obeying what Christ had told them to do in Samaria. He's proclaiming Jesus, crucified, risen, God's Messiah. 
whoever calls him Lord, who will ever receive him and confess him as Lord, can become a part of his following. Verse number six. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So apparently Philip was able to perform some signs. We're going to find out in just a second. He was able to, to, to raise the lame and, 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 and to, to give sight and, and whatnot. And so they're seeing these signs done. He's talking about Christ and they're believing. There's week after week after week that, that I'll present God's word to the, to the crowd that is here. And I get, you know, I get very few sleepers very very few sleep most folks are engaged and every now and then I'll get a nod and a, a smile every now and then it's pretty good and 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 everybody seems to be taking it in but you know what I don't ever really know is whether or not you actually put it to work that's not the case with what Philip's doing. Philip is talking to them about Jesus and folks are responding. They're believing. They're on board with what he's saying and doing. Verse number seven, for unclean, no, it wasn't blind. It was unclean spirits uh, were coming out, crying out with a loud voice and they came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So Philip is able to, to do these things to authenticate the word and people, are believing they are amazed so there was much joy in the city so here is this Jew in the city of Samaria on the other side of the tracks presenting to them God's Messiah to be received and believed in by faith and they're getting on board I love it when a missionary or a friend that's in a, a region where the gospel is not prevalent tells me stories about, the, about going in and, and these are all unbelievers and they begin to talk about Jesus and he says, man, folks just start just clinging to the gospel and they're just, they're wanting more and that's so exciting and that's what's happening in Samaria. Things are going well for Philip. Ministry is happening. People are getting saved and folks are coming to Christ it's a good thing in fact verse number 12 says when they believed they uh when, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized so I mean folks were coming forward folks were believing they're down in the water they're baptizing it's exciting things are great Philip is obeying the call of Jesus on his life but then we get to verse number 26 it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, th th this, this angel, this uh, messenger wasn't telling uh, wasn't telling Philip that it's a desert place. Philip knew this was a desert place. Philip was from this region. He understood where he was going. Luke, the author of this book here, who was writing to a particular individual, was letting that individual know, by the way, this was a very desert region. This was in the middle of nowhere. Stacy and I and, the, and, and Rhett, we, were, we moved out to, to Dallas so that I could go to seminary. And, uh, and then we had two more kids while we were out in, uh, in, in Dallas. Had two Texans out there. And, and we never really went past Fort Worth, okay? We, we just kind of stayed in the Metroplex. But anytime you were to ask, ask about anything past Fort Worth in Texas, everybody would tell you, oh, there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there but just, uh, you know, a few cattle and some tumbleweed and, you know, you better fill up with gas because you'll go miles and miles. And miles. There's nothing. Well, that's kind of what Philip was hearing from this angel. All right, Philip, here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to leave this booming ministry opportunity where things are working and the gospel is being heard and he wants you to go to this road that leads out of Jerusalem that goes to Gaza. Now we hear this term Gaza a lot in the news and it's really referring to a strip of land that Israel is fighting with uh, with the Palestinians over. This is a strip of land called the Gaza Strip. Same general area. This is the southernmost city in Israel and then once you leave leave Gaza, you're nothing till you get to Egypt. 
And so Philip is told by this angel, God wants you to go down to this desert, nowhere land road. And I'm sure Philip's probably going, why? I mean, I'm way up here in Samaria. Things are happening up here in Samaria. What in the world am I supposed to be doing down in this desert place? There's nothing down there. There are very few villages. And what am I going to accomplish in this area? Verse number 27 says that he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse number 28, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. Philip is told by the angel, I want you to leave Samaria. I know things are cooking. People are, people are receiving Jesus. You're being obedient, but God wants you down south. Said, okay. So down south he went, not having any idea what was going to be happening. And the Bible tells us that in the meantime, there was a gentleman who had come from Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia in this time, probably not as far south, or at least it wasn't uh, just it wasn't limited to what is currently Ethiopia. What's on top of Ethiopia today is a region called the Sudan. That's probably the region from which this gentleman was coming. But this gentleman was obviously not a Jew, was not a mixed Jew. This gentleman was a straight Gentile. He was a foreigner, but he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Well, who do you worship in Jerusalem? You worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This individual was a court official. He was a court official with the, with the queen, which Candace is more like a, a term like Caesar or Herod, the queen of Ethiopia. He was her treasurer. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. What was, the, what was the time period? It was the, the Feast of Pentecost, and, and this was a time of celebration, and, and things were happening in that region. And so he was leaving, going back home in his chariot, and God says, Philip, I want you to go down to the road that leads out of Jerusalem, goes down to Gaza. I got something I want you to do. Philip's going down the road. He's, he's trying to do what God told him. And then Luke says, and there was an entourage. Uh, 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 an official going back home wasn't just him probably all kinds of bodyguards and all kinds of other things of stuff he had bought in Jerusalem taking it back home to to Ethiopia so there's big caravans coming this big official thing's coming and who's Philip a nobody Uh, 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 an evangelist somebody who's telling people about Jesus Messiah and this guy he's he's a foreign dignitary all right cool parade this is great he's seated in his chariot And he was reading, verse number 28 says, the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Now, when I used to read this as a a kid and as a teenager, I just imagined that what Philip did next was kind of get running in pace with the chariot, you know, so chariots run down and, and get running in the pace and all of a sudden just sort of hop up there on the chariot with the Ethiopian. That's probably not what happened. But that's in my mind what was going on because it, it looked cool and it probably remind me a lot of Indiana Jones. Anyway, the Spirit says, I want you to go join yourself to that chariot. So the idea, probably not a chariot, more like a covered wagon, if you will. The idea is that Philip came walking over and did keep pace with the, got, got pace with the, with the wagon. And as he's walking along, he's looking over in and he sees the guy holding, would have been a scroll at that time that he would have purchased from Jerusalem of the prophet Isaiah. As Philip's looking over, he's, he's like, okay, Lord, this guy? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, hey, what, what, what you reading up there? You, you understand what you're reading? And the, and the eunuch, this, uh, this official, he's reading Isaiah The Spirit said, Philip, go over. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? Oh, oh, that's why I'm here. Well, how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, and it's found in Isaiah chapter number 53. It's verses 7 and 8, probably reading from the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, which this Ethiopian would most likely have known Greek because it was the, it was the, the language of trade. And so he was reading from this Septuagint copy, this Greek copy of the, of the prophet Isaiah, where it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. How many of us have ever opened our Old Testament as we're reading through it and, and gone, what in the world are some of these guys talking about? I have no idea what they're talking. This is what this man is experiencing. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. Apparently, this is a pretty important passage. How did he end up on 53? Probably the rabbi who sold him the copy. And he said, where should I read? And he goes, oh, this is a very special portion. Let me show you where you should read because this is very important to our people. And here he is reading Isaiah 53. You understand what you're reading? No. I mean, I understand the Greek, but I don't know what he's talking about. And the eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Who's the prophet talking about? About this lamb and, and it was led to the slaughter and, 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 and like a lamb before shears is dumb. He doesn't open his mouth and humiliate. Justice was denied him. Who's the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And verse 35 is the, is the point. And P, then, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. The, the, the unit's going, how do I even know? Who is he talking about? What is it? It's important to you and I understand and I want to worship your God. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm drawn to him, but I don't understand what this is talking about. And Philip goes, I can tell you what he's talking about. Not only can I tell you what he's talking about, I can tell you who he's talking about. And he begins right there, and I'm sure he probably starts going, now, Isaiah the prophet lived century, and he's gonna go and he's gonna tell how this was prophesied beforehand and how that Jesus had come in flesh and had died in our place like a lamb. He probably told him the story of the Passover, how that a lamb, when the people were, you're going to go through Egypt when you're going down to Ethiopia. And our people were slaves in Egypt. And then God brought us out and he did that through these different plagues. But the last one, we had to sacrifice a lamb. And just not too long ago during Passover, Jesus was sacrificed just like that lamb, but he didn't die and stay dead. No, God raised him. I've seen him. I've heard of him. I know, I need, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to tell you about him and Philip preached to him Jesus as they're riding along in this nowhere road leading to desert and nothing he preached to him Jesus as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized I want to be real sensitive about this, but this is a big question that, that this man was asking because in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter number, thir, uh, chapter number 20, let's see, where I got it written? I know I've got it written somewhere. De Deuteronomy chapter number 25. There was a law stated that any person who was a eunuch, and I know we got some kids in here, so talk, talk to your mom, talk to your daddy. Any person that was a eunuch was not permitted into the assembly for worship. They were prohibited from becoming a part of the body. So for this man to go to Jerusalem, he could go there and worship, if you will, from a distance. He could buy a copy of the scripture, but when it came to going into the temple and offering worship and offering praise, he could not because physically he was prohibited from worshiping the God that he was trying to follow. 
And so now he's hearing about the work of this God through the person of Jesus, God's Messiah, and how that, that, that the Messiah was willing to rescue, to save, to redeem any who would confess him as Lord. And I'm sure this man is going, oh, okay, but, and I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. And surely Philip told him about the, the ones that were baptized on the first day, that day of Pentecost, and 3,000 stood in line to get baptized, and, and how that folks, when they trust Jesus, they're initiated into the body, and it's a, a physical sign of that spiritual decision. He's probably told him about that, and the guy's going, okay, all right, but I see some water here, but, but let me just make sure Aren't I going to be prohibited because I'm not allowed to come before your God in his temple? I see water. What would prohibit this? Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. I think that he is talking about Philip. He commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water. The notion here is nothing will prohibit you from becoming a part of this family. Not your past, not, not your physical limitations, not, not, anything, to, not anything you've done, not, not anything you don't have, not anything you can't, no, no. This has nothing to do with anything but Jesus crucified risen and you confessing him as Lord. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, you go, wait a minute, why does the scripture go from verse number 36 to verse number 38? And if you have a King James or a New King James translation, you might have uh, verse number 37, and there probably if you have a modern translation, it's down at the bottom in the footnote. What's going on here? Well, verse 37, probably not in the original. It doesn't go back any farther than the sixth century in just a few of the manuscripts. So it probably was not a part of the original. The idea is that this man wants to know Jesus. This man wants to respond. This man wants to be identified with Jesus through baptism. Is anything going to stop me? No, stop the chariot. And the eunuch and Philip went down into the water and he, Philip, baptized him. I've been wanting to... I've been wanting connection to your God and I've just kind of been from a distance. You telling me that I can be in right relationship through Jesus Messiah. Philip's like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what the prophet was talking about. And the prophet probably didn't even know what he was talking about. But that's what's happening. That's what's available. And if you by faith will believe, you can be a part of this same thing that God's doing through us. And down in the water they went and he baptized him. Verse number 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now again, go back to my childhood, my teenage years. Here's what I like to imagine. I like to imagine that what Luke is talking about is like when they come up out of the water and they're drying off and they're, you know, they're talking and Phil's probably thinking, all right, now where am I going to go? Because I'm halfway to Gaza by now and I'm not planning to go to Ethiopia. I always understand this to mean that the spirit like poofed him out of the region, you know, kind of like Star Trek. He just sort of transported him away and that may be what happened but doggone if I didn't read behind some of these commentators that said that's probably not what Luke is referring to but rather that the spirit carried Philip you go that way I'm just going to walk on back up here that's probably what happened I'm like I don't know I'm going to read you no more because I like the poofing idea better bottom line is that was the end of that connection it was like Philip didn't know this guy and then all of a sudden he was encountering this guy. He led him to Christ and then that was it. No emails, no I'll write, no we'll need to get back together next time. No, he was gone, didn't see him anymore. A surprise encounter, a random encounter, right? No such thing, no such thing. We'll read verse 40. But Philip found himself in Azotus, which is north of Gaza. And, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He just went back north and kept telling folks about Jesus. There's some application that we can put 
to this story. Before we get there, let me, let me just explain. What Luke is doing in chapter number 8 is he's showing how that God has orchestrated that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem. And, and through persecution, he's now pushed them out into the region of Judea. And, and God's opened the door for them to evangelize Judea. And Philip has been obedient and he's begun evangelizing Samaria. And folks are hearing and folks are believing. But now God has orchestrated the gospel to be taken to the ends of the earth. You remember earlier when I said in some of these ancient maps, there were actually a a way of thinking about this phrase, the ends of the earth. And Ethiopia represented one of those or that region where it was like, that's as far as we've been. We've not gone much further than that, the ends of the earth. And what has God done? God's used Philip to give the gospel to somebody who's going to be taking it where? To one of the ends of the earth. Why? Because that's what God intended. Now, there's a lot that you could read up on, and, and, and there's a great tradition that now this eunuch, this official, was the one who took the gospel back to Ethiopia. And you know what? I have no reason whatsoever not to believe that that's exactly what he did, was to go back and tell others what he had learned from this obedient man by the name of Philip. Four applications, though. As we see this, four applications that I want you to see, and I want you to take away as we think about who's your one. Application point number one, God uses those who are already being obedient. God uses those who are already being obedient. It's the same principle of why if you've got the most workload on you at work, you look around the office, you're like, why am I toting all this work and you guys are bugging out at 3.05 and we're supposed to be here till 3.30 and I got all this and I need, really need to stay here till about 8 every night. What in the world's going on? You know, it's the same principle. If you're obedient and faithful and you get your work done, you know what you're going to get? <laughs> More work. Every now and then, you know what you also get? A bonus. You get that. But anyway. But the main thing you consistently get is more work. God uses those who are already being obedient. Look, if you've decided, I don't really know how this is going to work. I'm a little bit scared to do it. I'm going to take part. I'm going to go through the, the steps of who's your one. And you've dropped a card in the box and you're trying to pray and you've missed some days. You're like, Lord, I don't know, but, but you're, you're walking it out. Okay, Lord, I believe that you want to use me. I don't know how you're going to do it. And I'm quite frankly scared for you to open that door, but I'm going to keep praying. I, I got the paper and I've ordered the Evangicube, but I don't know. He flipped that thing around last week. I, you know, I don't, but you're walking it out. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can check the podcast out last week. But you're walking it out. You know what God will do? God will orchestrate opportunities for you to keep doing what you're already moving toward. My point is, is we, we want to focus on our one. But let's don't forget that when we're engaged toward one, God in his sovereignty might say, all right, all right, you're busy. Hold on just a second. I'm about to do something special. God uses those who are already being obedient. Are you currently engaged in this promotion? Like, has, has a name been written down by you? I want to encourage you, it's not too late. Come grab your card. Let us be praying for them. You pray for them. Wait on God to open it up. And then allow God to see and use you in obedience. God uses those who are already being obedient. Application number two. God orchestrates divine encounters that may appear strange or random. God orchestrates encounters that may seem strange or random. I can't tell you how many stories that so many of y'all have told me about different life events that have happened in your life by a, a presumably random encounter. I just happened to come by this person and I just happened to him. And then the next thing I know, I'm introduced to my wife. I would have never met her if it hadn't been for, I'd have never worked there if I hadn't have stumbled over. I would have never met this person if I hadn't have dumped tea over in their lap. 
And we think about, and I hear y'all talking about these things all the time. You realize God can do those kinds of things to make encounter. He can send you from somewhere you thought you were supposed to be to where you're going to be in order to impact one more than the one you're already praying. Somebody you never even thought that you would encounter. And God orchestrates divine encounters. We got to pay close attention to those we encounter on a daily basis. And we listen, we got to pay especially close attention to those weird encounters. You know what I mean? You come across some folks and you're just like, okay, this is weird. And I'm sitting by you and we have nothing whatsoever in common. You know, you look this way and I look that way. And man, I would have probably never picked. This is the last seat I would have picked on this plane. But here I am. This is the last person I would have thought about being in the elevator with. And I'm going to get right over here in the corner as deep as I can. Pay real close attention to the weird ones. Because when you're being obedient, that's where God likes to, I think, exercise a little divine humor. (laughs) Watch this. This is going to be funny. Y'all come here. This is going to be good. Pay attention. You never know who God is bringing into your presence. Application point number three. There's no way around engagement with others. There's no way around that thing that we none of us want to do. That's how you doing today. You know, most of us, we're looking, got somebody right here, and then we're looking, oh, we're looking at all over. It's weird in the elevator. We're checking out the structure of everything in that elevator. Another human being standing right beside us, but we know exactly where everything's put together and all. We could tell the numbers, and I can see where you're getting off. I wish it was sooner. <laughs> what would it look like if we just went, how you doing? So where are you from? No way around it. You know what Philip had to do? The spirit said, all right, go over there and join yourself with the, uh, with the, with the caravan. And he's walking along. What did Philip do? What, what you reading? You understand what you're reading? There's no way around it. And you guys are going, I don't like to talk to people. I don't even want to talk to you sometime when you come up to me. But if you know Christ as savior, you represent the answer. You've got the truth. No way of around engagement with others. But number, point number four, every situation, especially a personal crisis, can be leveraged toward Jesus. So hi, how you doing today? Having a, boy, I'm having a rough day. Door open for you to go. You know what? I, I, know, I know how that feels. And if it weren't for Jesus... I'd have, I'd have no idea how I would get through my rough days too. You know about Jesus? I mean, you just never know. And somebody said, you can leverage anything with Jesus. You know, you, 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 you call somebody and go look at a car they got for sale. So, it's been a pretty good car. It's been pretty reliable. I only want $3,000 for it. Boy, I tell you what, I know about reliability. I tell you, I, I, I was given eternal life for free. You know about Jesus? And you're going, oh, great, Kevin. You're wanting to make us all weird. (laughs) You are weird. I think scripture called it peculiar, though that's not exactly what that word means. Every situation can be leveraged toward Jesus. But you have to be prepared. You have to be ready. But it can all, what did did Philip do? Beginning with that passage, he preached to him Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. How, how you doing? I'm, I'm Kevin. What's your name? Um, I'm Johnny. Well, good to meet you, Johnny. You from here? No, no, I just, uh, I just got here and you know, I was trying to find my way. Man, do I know somebody who knows the way. Really? Yep. Not to be corny or anything, but it's, it's Jesus. I'd love to be able to help you, be, you know, if I can help you through the... But you know what? I found that Jesus, he's the way. Anybody ever told you about Jesus? See, that won't be so strange if we're already being obedient. If we're already getting up going, okay, Lord, I know that you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. 
So, Father, I pray that you'll work out the circumstances in my one's life. And I pray that you'll prepare me so that I'll be ready to share that. It won't be so weird if we're already pursuing the one to notice the other one that God brings our way. A surprise encounter. Hey, had no idea you were going to show up. But if we're already in the mindset, if we're already thinking it, if we're already going in that direction, you know what we'll become? We'll become a representative of Christ in every arena of our life, in every circumstance and situation in our life, and we'll be fulfilling exactly what we've been called to do. So, last week we talked about being ready to share the real gospel. Today we're going to say, let's be alert and ready to share with those surprise encounters that none of us were expecting. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, well, guess what? He died in your place and for your sin. He was raised from the dead victorious, and he's ready and able to forgive you and give you new life if by faith you'll simply confess him as Lord. Today would be a great day to receive Jesus. Today would be a great day to decide I'm going to be alert. I'm going to be ready for a surprise encounter. Today would be a great day to to decide I'm going to let God use me. I'm going to put one down and I'm going to start praying for him. Let's stand together. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we want to pray right now for all of the ones that have been written down and turned in. I pray for those that have wrote those names down and, and are praying for them. I ask that you would encourage them. The enemy's probably trying to distract. I know he is trying to distract and get them off course and, and cause them, you know, lead them toward forgetfulness and then discouragement. And guys, pray that you would remind them that you're sovereign. And if they've missed day number eight and nine, that they, today can be number eight. And keep pursuing and keep pushing toward you on behalf of that one. We pray that you would open up those doors, that we would have a chance to share. I pray that you would remind us that you orchestrate encounters, especially in those that are already being obedient. Give us the courage we need to just engage folks and then to be ready to leverage that conversation when we have opportunity toward your son. God, I pray that you will create some surprise encounters for your people this week. Give us the ability to see them. Give us their courage to engage with them. And then, Father, wouldn't it be awesome to have somebody come next week and say, I had a surprise encounter, and not only did I share Jesus with them, I was able to lead them into faith. So I pray that that would be something that we would be able to rejoice in, even in the coming week. Father, we ask that you would build our homes, build our lives to encourage us as your children. Father, I pray for that one who doesn't know Christ as Savior. May they see him and know him, crucified in their place for their sin, raised victorious. May they not be willing to leave today until they place faith in Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.